Hybrids, minivans, and Jeeps, we discuss what makes a car good, but not exciting, and whether turbos or electrons are the future of fun. This is David and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This episode of the Limited Slip Podcast is sponsored by Retromobile Designs. If you are looking for super cool automotive-inspired t-shirts made by Petrolheads for Petrolheads, check them out at www.retromobiledesigns.com. That's retromobiledesigns.com. Today, we're going we're gonna to start off talking about electric cars versus plug-in hybrids. Uh, and kind of the impetus for this is... We watched this YouTube video from from Harry on Harry's garage, where he was talking about this long term uh, X5 that he has. Right, he's you know, doing a long term test on this BMW X5 plug in hybrid, and he was saying that he had he had an electric car before that. He had this you know Jaguar electric car. He didn't end up using it that much, and he has this BMW plug in hybrid, and he's using it all the time. So we want to start off by talking about why is that? Yeah. Is, is that the way, is that the way to go? We hear all this talk about electric cars are the future. And the question is, if they're the future, why do you, why does Harry at least prefer a plug-in hybrid over an electric? Yeah. And actually before we, uh, if I may, before we get into that, I do want to say it's nice to be Harry because he was pretty much set on buying an X5 plug-in hybrid. And then when he approached BMW, he said, don't buy one. We'll give you one for six months to see if you really like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard life. It's a hard life. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but our plug-in hybrids, at least uh, in the, uh, near term, the future um, for commuter cars. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I think that uh, they offer a lot of benefits as a plug-in hybrid that you don't get as a just a regular hybrid. Um, and for what most people are going to be using a, a commuter, I think it works quite well. Yeah, I think actually I agree. I agree with with you, Borja, on this because. I guess I should, I should say I'm biased. I have a plug-in hybrid. I have a, an Audi A3 e-tron, which is a plug-in hybrid. Um, and that's my, that's my commuter car. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's pretty much like a Volkswagen GTE, except it's an A3. Uh, obviously in the States, we don't have the GTE, but it's pretty much the same um, powertrain. So now I find, I find in my actual usage, um, so I have about 20 miles of electric only range. And in, and in mine, I have basically 150 horsepower gas motor and 150 horsepower electric motor. So together combined, it, you got a lot of go for a yeah. front wheel drive car. Um, but electric only is fine, right? Like I, I driving around, going through roundabouts, um, taking my kids to school, doing, you know, going to the grocery store and whatever, that 150 horsepower uh, electric motor feels stronger than 150 horsepower. Um, and with 20 miles of range, I think the rated range is a little bit lower, but in, in like real world usage, I, I'm getting about 20 miles of range. Um, you know, I can make it to my office 
I can charge at the office and then come back and I don't have to use any gas. Although it's really close, right? Like <laughs> I have to like follow semis and stuff in order to, to make that work. Um, but in everyday usage, I rarely use gas. The only times I use gas most of the time is either I'm driving somewhere kind of far that's beyond my range or um, I'm doing sporting driving where I'm using the gas motor as a, as a boost. Um, and I think that Harry pretty much found the same thing. Um, when he was just using the electric only car, which, what was it? It was a, an I-Pace, right? Yeah. So the I-Pace has what? 200, 200 miles of range. He, he did, he found that he had a lot of range anxiety over with, with that. Um, not the, you know, again, most of the time I, you know, most of the time I'm able to make it within my 20 miles, but whenever you have something that's longer than that, you always find yourself, um, choosing another car, as he says, it, assuming you have other cars to, to choose from. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts for him? I agree. I mean, to, to go back to Harry's video, he said that he owned the I-Pace for about, um, about a year and they only did about 5,000 miles, give or take, uh, on it. And he's had the, the X5 on loan for about a month, a month and a half, and he's already done close to 2,000 miles on that time, just because of the convenience of uh, having a plug-in hybrid. Um, it really yeah. is the way to go. I mean, I think, for example, in your case with the Audi, I think that the range is a little low. It does become far more attractive if you can get a plug-in hybrid with about 35, maybe all the way up to 50 miles, because I think that covers most commutes. Oh, I 100% uh, I, 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 I agree. That's, yeah. that's when it becomes extremely, extremely interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the people, you know, you go to work, um, go to the grocery store, if you have kids, you take them to school, those type of things, the runaround things, that's when you do want to have uh, a hybrid and it makes sense to have a plug-in hybrid. Uh, but the nice thing is, let's say one night you, you forget to charge it. Well, if you have an only electric vehicle, that becomes a problem. With a plug-in hybrid, it doesn't. Right. So. Yeah, I actually have a perfect example for that because we had um... – we, so right now with COVID-19, I'm work, I'm working from home and my wife has to go into the office, uh, one week a month. Okay. And we're, we're getting a new roof on our house and the roofers, they, at first they were like, Hey, we'll, it'll, we'll be able to do it in one day. Right. And it turned into a three day thing. Um, and because they had all of their equipment and all their stuff in our driveway, we couldn't get the car into the garage to charge it. Mm. And so we, you know, my wife had to go two days without charging it at home. And if you had an electric car, that would potentially be a big problem. Yeah. And, um, the other, the other time that it's, I've also taken the Audi and we've gone on a couple larger trips, you know, 400, 500 mile trips with it. And yeah, I get good gas mileage with it. I, uh, you know, nothing to complain about, nothing super extraordinary, you know, but, I get, get pretty good gas mileage with it. And that, those are trips that unless you have a Tesla, you're not really willing to make in an electric car. And there's, there's two reasons for that. One is, uh, 
you know, range anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. If you have an eye pace and you can only go 200 miles, okay, well, you got to stop and you have to recharge. You don't want to use your full 200 miles before you stop to recharge. So, you know, maybe you go 150 miles. Well, you're stopping three times on a 500 mile trip, right? Yeah. Before you get to your destination. And, and the other issue is the cost of recharging is actually probably a lot more than you think it is. So um, I know that the charger at my work, they have, my, my car takes, it's, it's slow, it's a slow charger. It takes about two hours on fast charger to, to charge all the way, which is really long for the battery size. Um, but at my work, they have, I, I guess I should say at my office, um, they have public chargers in the garage and you have two hours free. Okay. So for me, that's enough. I can charge my car and, and I'm good. But if I had to char if I had to pay the rate that's after those two hours is I have to like, remember to go and turn it off. Um, it's like $5 an hour after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So think about that. And those, those two hours. Okay. $10, $10 for 20 miles of range. That's like, that's like $20 a gallon. Yeah. I've actually, I went and did like a chart and compared all of this electric and, um, you know, electric and plug in hybrid and gas only. And you have to get, when you're talking about regular gasoline, not premium, and you have, and your, and your focus is on cost. Okay. Not, not environmental stuff, not convenience, not, none of that. You're, if your concern is cost and you have $3 a gallon gasoline, which is not right now, it's a lot cheaper than that right now. But if you have $3 a gallon gasoline, you have to get over, you have to get 40 miles per gallon is basically where the tipping point is for the, for the cost of electricity versus the cost of gasoline. It's right at about 40 miles per, per gallon. So if you have a, um, you know, a Mazda three, okay. That's getting 40 miles per gallon. You're actually spending less money than if you had an electric on as far as fueling costs. Does that make sense? It does. Um, which, which again, like makes me really wonder, okay. Like how many people out there care about having an electric or care about having a hybrid and cost isn't really their concern because if cost is the concern, it's better just to go with a gas engine. I, I don't know. And then another interesting point that you've shared this experience is, well, at your place of work, you have two free hours. Uh, but, and then it, if you don't move your car, then you have to pay $5 per hour. You also have the inconvenience in this case that you have to get out of your office and move the car after two hours. If you don't want to pay the five hours, uh, $5 an hour. Plus, um, it's good etiquette too. Even if, if you can afford the $5 an hour, I'm sure there's other people that will want to use a charger. Um, so you don't want to be the guy that, Oh, you just plug in your car and leave it there all day, every day while others can't do the same. Um, well, yeah, the, the people there's, um, there's three, so there's four charging stations and, and there's, you know, I come and I charge, I usually would get to the office earlier. So I would get my spot. And then there's three people who, who have Tesla Model 3s. 
<clears throat> and they're all black and like they look at they're all the exact same spec which is actually kind of hilarious and they come and they leave their cars charging all day yeah they just leave them plugged in the whole day and then there's another guy who has a, a, a nissan leaf right so now we have five electric cars and four spots <clears throat> and he usually gets there later and anyways he sometimes he'll like steal the tesla's parking spots during lunch or something they'll leave for lunch and he'll sneak in um yeah it, it is it is pretty it is pretty interesting yeah um but without that free charging it becomes rather uneconomical and and each charging station the owner of the charging station can set their rate okay now <clears throat> this five dollars an hour that's not <clears throat> that is not the rate that it costs them in electricity um but and there's and there are definitely charging stations that are less expensive than that but there's also charging but there's also a lot that are this five dollars an hour rate and uh, yeah it's it, it's something that you're going to have to think about if you have an electric car and, and i and i think that one of the other issues is how many people live in apartments because one of the best places to have an electric car is in a city but if you live in a city do you have a garage and does your garage have a charger in it yeah yeah that's when a plug-in hybrid does become at least for now for the for the near future does become a far more sensible and logical option because even if you run out of your electric uh, battery, well, you still have a gas engine to go with it. So, yeah, and maybe you have a charger at work or something, and you can charge at work, and then you know you don't necessarily have to worry about it when you're at home. <clears throat> but I think that's another. I think that's another issue because really the best usage for an electric-driven car is kind of slower. It does. You know, my car is fine on the freeway. I can drive. I can drive at freeway speeds, no problem using electric only. <clears throat> but it really does shine at slower speeds, you know, under 60 miles an hour in the city type environments as electric cars are actually really, really refined and enjoyable to drive, but. Right, which now brings us to, to the next point now that we're talking about plug-in hybrids and hybrids and city driving, one of the, the most popular vehicle segments um, um, is minivans and uh, the top three minivans right now here in the US are the Toyota Sienna, the Chrysler Pacifica and the Honda Odyssey and um, two out of those three are now or will be offering a hybrid option. The Pacifica you can actually get it right now as a plug-in hybrid version. The Sienna they're going to be releasing a new model, the 2021 Sienna. It doesn't matter which trim level you get, all of them will be hybrids. They will not be plug-in hybrids. They will be hybrids. And then the Odyssey, which does not offer any type of hybrid whatsoever. Um, it is uh, being refreshed also. So the Sienna is a brand new model, 2021. The, hybrid, uh, the uh, Odyssey, uh, it's a mid-cycle uh, refresh, just... Uh, it's not a brand new model, they're just refreshing it a little bit. And it's the same thing with the Pacifica. It's also going through a, a mid-cycle refresh. But it's interesting that in one of the most popular segments for vehicles nowadays, which is minivans, uh, out of the top three minivans, two of them will offer some sort of hybrid option. Um, mm. You have a Pacifica yourself. So 
I, I do. And, I love my Pacifica. And you love it, yeah. Um, I think, and we've had this conversation before, as far as the top three minivans right now, the Pacifica is by far uh, the best looking of the bunch. Yeah, I think I think that the looks are really important. I don't I don't know that people who buy minivans are going to say, well, you know, it looks good, but all of these other things are terrible. I mean, you know, the, the mechanical aspects of it, the usage aspects of it really do matter. But I think that all things being, being equal, of course, you buy the one that, that looks better. And this is where I'm really surprised that, that Toyota hasn't made a bigger improvement because this, the old Sienna was really ugly. And the new Sienna is also really ugly. I just don't know, like, like the other minivans are just really good. I mean, you have the Odyssey, you have an Odyssey. The Odyssey is a really good van. And, uh, you know, it has all of the Japanese reliability that you get with the Sienna. It has all of the usability that you get with any other, you know, any of these three, but it's not as ugly as the Sienna. And I, I just really wonder if they're going to struggle to get buyers to the Sienna because what's the advantage of a Sienna? Oh, it's a hybrid. Well, if you want a hybrid, you can also get the, the Pacifica, right? Yeah. Um, oh, it's Japanese. It has, you know, Toyota reliability. Well, you know, guess what? Honda has something to say about that. And uh, okay. Well, okay, great. It's four wheel drive. Well, now the upgraded Pacifica is also four wheel. You know, you can get, four-wheel drive. So I, I don't know what would draw anybody to the Sienna. I mean, to be, to to be totally honest, I don't see any, any specific reason why you would go with the Sienna and not, and not one of the other choices. Uh, I think a part of the reason why people will go to the Sienna is uh, brand loyalty. I mean, Toyota buyers are extremely loyal to Toyota and there's good reasons for it. Uh, for the longest yeah. time they have been, pretty much the top dog when it comes to reliability. The engine on the Sienna up until the new version of the 2021, it was a three and a half liter V6. They have had that powertrain for uh, quite a few years now. Um, they did a refresh yep. in, I want to say 2007, they did a refresh of that engine, which they went away with the timing belt and they switched to a timing chain, which was a great decision by Toyota. And it's a great engine. That three and a half liter uh, V6 is a fantastic engine. It's super reliable. It's powerful enough. It, it gets decent gas mileage. My wife has a Toyota RAV4 with the 3.5 three, V6 and it's a fantastic engine. No complaints whatsoever. Uh, one of yeah. my biggest complaints of the 2021 uh, Sienna besides the look is I like the idea that they come in with a hybrid. Uh, I'm not too fond of them having to give you a hybrid whether you want it or not. If you want to see it, you have to have the hybrid. There's no other option. But my biggest complaint is they have gotten rid of the three and a half liter V6, obviously to make room for the hybrid powertrain. They went down to a 2.5 liter engine um, paired with the electric motor. Here's the kicker though. The 2020 Sienna uh, has close to 300 horsepower. The 2021 Sienna with the electric motor combined, the gas and the electric motor would only have 243 horsepower. That well, is, and, and 
you know, we're talking about a 50, 53 horsepower decrease from the previous year. And I'm going to, I find that to be a problem. Well, and you're going to have a weight increase as well. And, and look like the, the hybrid powertrains do not do well in passing on freeway usually. Right. And I think that's going to be, I mean, this is going to be an over 5,000 pound vehicle with 250 horsepower and a lot, a good portion of that coming from an electric motor, you're not going to be able to pass anybody. <laughs> and, and I think that reliability is also going to be an issue too. It, um, you know, these, the transmissions on those are not particularly famous for their reliability. The engine I think is a, is a good solid engine, but I don't know. You know, I think that when it comes to reliability, I don't think that Toyota's going to have that big of a problem because, I mean, believe it or not, it's been 20 years since the Prius has been around. And when it comes to – and the Prius has a CVT transmission, and when, when you see Prius at the end of the lives, usually it's because the battery has already given up, not because of the transmission. So I don't think transmission-wise it's going to be too much of a problem on the Sienna. I just think that, first of all, you're forcing me to get a hybrid whether you want it or not. And second, um, you're decreasing yep. 50 horsepower on, and let's be honest, you know, minivans are meant for, to haul people and to haul things, which means you want to have as much horsepower and torque as you possibly can because you're going to need it when you're fully loaded. Uh, a decrease in 50 horsepower, I think it's going to be, more than fine for driving around town and taking the kids to school and going to the grocery store. But if you have a longer commute, if you're going to be driving longer distances, if you're going to be passing trucks and other cars in the freeways, I think that there, there might be a, a struggle there. That said, Toyota, if you want to give us a loaner for a week or two to try it out, we're more than happy to do it. And if we find ourselves that we made a mistake, we'll, we're happy to rectify it. Uh, of course, you will need to give us a loader for that. Yeah, well, and I, I have, I have my concerns about it. I mean, I, I don't think that's enough power. Yeah, but you know, and and again, like, and your and your other choices, the Honda Odyssey pretty much has the same. It has the carryover engine, right? It does, um, and it's what two seventy. 280 horsepower yeah i want to say it's somewhere around there um i think that the problem yeah. with with the refresh odyssey as good as it is because it's still a great minivan is even with the refresh it's starting to look a bit outdated um yeah. and not only from the the looks standpoint but from the power trade too um it's it's a three and a half liter v6 same as the uh, sienna currently um it's a great engine i have that engine on my uh, odyssey it's a fantastic engine uh however yeah. even the surprising thing is that even till today uh even the 2021 still has a timing belt they they yeah. haven't they haven't made a transition to a timing chain which it would have been nice uh, at the the day and age that we live nowadays to have made that transition over to a timing chain. I'm not saying that the powertrain is bad. It's not. It's a great powertrain, but the powertrain is starting to feel old. They don't offer an all-wheel drive version like the Sienna does or the Pacifica. They don't offer a hybrid option like the Sienna and the Pacifica. So uh, just because of that, 
<clears throat> it started to look a little bit outdated. Yeah, I mean, I think I think overall, though, I think it's a solid choice for someone who's looking for something more traditional. You, yeah, more traditional, more maybe more utilitarian. Um, I think that it's. I think it's a good. I think it's a nice, good, solid choice. It is now. Of, now, of course, uh, the Pacific is also getting up uh, updated for 2021. We got we got like a full on minivan wars going on over here, and um, and they have some pretty nice upgrades, right? You know, Apple CarPlay, um, all of the safety equipment, you know, the emergency braking, et cetera. Uh, that's all going to be standard. And they updated the looks, which were already, I think, it was a handsome car, right? So you have the Sienna, which is just ugly. You have the Odyssey, which is, in my view, neither ugly nor handsome. And then you have the Pacifica, which is a nice looking car. It's still minivan, right? but they've minimized the negative aspects of minivan design. And I think it looks, it looks handsome. Um, and they made it look more handsome with the update. Um, also, I guess it should be said, the Pacifica now is gonna get all wheel drive as an option for some buyers, they, they care about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it continues with the same um, optional hybrid powertrain, which is, which is, I guess we should say is also, it's uh, 260 horsepower combined as well. And this is from a 3.6 liter V6. Now it's a Atkinson cycle V6 and they've, you know, it's basically the same base engine as the 300 horsepower version of the non-hybrid, but you know, they, they reduce the power to make it more efficient and, and add in the electric motors and total outputs about 260. Yeah, you know, it's not that far off from the Toyota, but, but it looks a lot better. That's for and, sure. And with the plug-in hybrid, in they're estimated they can get up to thirty-three miles on electric only. Uh, which, right? Again, if you want to take the kids to school, or want to go grocery shopping, or you know, go to the doctor, or anything like that, it's more than enough for your everyday run around. Um, yeah, I know. I know. For me, with with that mileage, with that type of electric only mileage, I would almost never use gas. I would only use gas on long trips. So I, yeah, that's not, that's not an insignificant uh, difference. Yeah. Uh, now, another thing too, we were talking about the, the Sienna and some concerns that uh, we may have in the future as far as reliability. Unfortunately, that's probably the main concern that buyers will encounter with the Pacifica because I think everything else is great. I think, you know, they give you the option of all-wheel drive or not. They give you the option of hybrid or not. It's the best looking minivan. It's extremely well uh, featured. You have all sorts of features um, that you can find in, not on a minivan, but even on luxury cars, they offer it on on the Pacifica. So I think yeah. when it comes to the whole package, I think it's a fantastic package and probably the most attractive package when it comes to buying a minivan. But the elephant in the room is long-term reliability. Well, you know, the 3.6 liter engine is a, it's a good engine and it's been around for a long time and they've, they've gotten all of the wrinkles ironed out of it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess I can only say this anecdotally since this is my experience, but my, my van has had no issues, right? I do my regular maintenance every, uh, 20,000 miles, do my oil changes. And that's, I've never had any issues with, with mine. And I, you know, I have 72,000 miles on my van. So, yeah. so you I, know, I, is the, every, 
I think is everyone going to get go sorry ahead. go ahead no go ahead well i mean are there issues with the vans uh, i'm sure that some people have issues and I, I i would not be surprised if consumer reports or someone rates them slightly lower but like you know cars cars that are good cars are so durable these days i i mean everyone expects to have your car go 300,000 miles without anything super terrible going wrong without having to rebuild your engine or replace your transmission or whatever, as long as you're taking good care of it. And, you know, so these tiny differences and like, Oh, I had to take my car in one time to the mechanic shop for an unexpected fix versus I had to take my car in two times for an un unexpected fix over the course of 200,000 miles. Like, you know, I don't think that's, the defining thing in people's minds, but, but, but there is kind of that intangible people expect a certain level of reliability and durability out of the Japanese brands that they don't expect out of Chrysler. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I think that's more of a, a mind game than a, than a rational choice, but you know, time will tell. I am sure that there are those, I'm sure that there are those who will disagree with me. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. I mean, I think that the biggest problem with the Pacifica in the past hasn't been the the engine itself, it's been transmissions. They, they just been, yeah. they've had issues with transmissions and it's a very well-known problem. It's nothing new. That said, with the yeah. newer Pacificas, it's totally different transmissions than the ones we've seen in the past and also with the, with the one that they're going to release. So, when it comes to transmission reliability, is this still going to be a problem? Uh, well, the, the answer is we don't know. They're still too new to have become a problem. Time will tell. Right. So, yeah. 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 And that's fair. Well, let's, let's move on to the, to the next hybrid we want to talk about, which is the potential for a 911 hybrid. Now, Borja, you love 911s. I, Do you I think a hybrid I'm, 911. I more than love 911s. Uh, do I think a hybrid 911 is a good idea? I'm going to say, sure, why not? I mean, uh, you know, uh, I as much as I, I love Porsche in general, uh, I'm not as picky as the purists of Porsches. You know, when when Porsche decide mm -hmm. to to make the transition on the 911 from air cooled to water cooled, you know, I didn't make a fuss about it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say, why not? And the reason that I'm going to say, why not is because if they make a 911 version, uh, it's not going to be only a, a hybrid. What I mean is that they will, they will offer other different variants of 911 of the 911 without being a hybrid. So why not? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to have a hybrid 911, just buy a regular 911. But then also the other reason why I say why not is because I think it is my belief that uh, Porsche is extremely good at everything that they make. Uh, so yeah. if, if they yeah, decide, they, they, they tend to not make the decision to make something until they've really figured it out. Figured it out exactly. So if they're going to be making yeah. a hybrid version of the 911, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be the best yeah. hybrid that you can possibly buy. Uh, and just because yeah. of those two reasons that you can probably get a non-hybrid 911 and if you decide to go with a hybrid 911 it's probably going to be the best hybrid out there i'm going to say why not 
the it's it's just going to be better because of them bringing this out if they decide to bring out all it's going to do it's going to push everybody else to become better and that's just good for everybody well for me i don't have any problem with performance hybrids i think I, i i will say this though i would much rather have a naturally aspirated engine combined with a hybrid rather than a turbocharged engine with a hybrid um I'm just going to, I'm going to lay that out there, but in my mind to have a small naturally aspirated, uh, you know, flat six combined with a hybrid, uh, hybrid assistance, I think that would be a great 911. Now is weight an issue? Weight could be an issue, but you know, you don't have to have a huge battery in there. It could be, you know, it could be a relatively small battery to get a couple, you know, 30 miles of range out of it. Um, and I guess we should. I, I guess we should back up and also say that the reason that we're talking about this is that the the 992 generation 911s they've been designed with space in the front axle for electric motors, and they've designed the the new eight speed transmission to have the ability to add in an electric motor, like kind of like kind of like actually what I have on my Audi, where it the electric motor replaces the flywheel. So you still have a normal dual clutch transmission, no flywheels, and you have an electric motor in there instead. Um, which is, I think the best way to make a, a hybrid that's enjoyable to drive. But yeah, so they've, so they've been talking about that and there's kind of an active discussion, Motor Trend reports that there's an active discussion in Porsche right now and it's primarily focused on the American market with, um, Porsche of America saying, we really want a hybrid 911. The Germans kind of saying, well, I don't know if we're ready. And there's, there's kind of this talk over, well, how do they do it, right? Do, do they go with a 911S type of hybrid? Do they go with a Turbo S type of hybrid? Do they do it at all? Do they wait? And kind of, I guess the reporting suggests that it's expected that they'll have a, a hybrid version sometime in the 992 and a half generation and and that being kind of a stepping stone for there being a full electric 911 sometime with the next the way that they keep saying it is that it would just be a version right so they would continue to sell gas for gas powered 911s but that they would have an electric version an electric variant in the next generation um I, my, my view is that I think that they're going to create, I think that the, this coming Turbo S will be a hybrid of some form. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not sure if the Turbo S will be, I think it will be, if, if my thoughts is if they're going to come out with a 911 hybrid, I think it will be, be a very interesting vehicle to come out with the base model Carrera. Uh, an entry level uh, mild hybrid, I think, would be the first of all the most attractive, and second, if they're going to sell them, I think that the base model is the one that they're going to sell the most. Uh, mainly because we have had this, this uh, discussion before: is prices for 911s over the last few years for new vehicles have been going up uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah. So obviously they. They keep selling them. I mean, price go up, but they have no problem selling 911s, and there's a reason for it. They're just fantastic vehicles, and, and people are willing to pay that money. Um, 
But I think that it would well, make that would have the biggest. The yeah, and that would have the largest impact on their average corporate fuel economy as well. They would, yeah. Um, but uh, worry not that if they decide to come out with a hybrid version, it's going to be the best version that's going to be. Uh, and that's always been the the Porsche way, and I don't think it's going to be any different now. So, plus, so they, if you they, remember, they've they actually started they started working on a on a hybrid version of the nine nine seven kind of early on. They even made a a nine nine seven race car hybrid uh, that they that they raced for a short period of time, and then kind of decided, well, we actually don't want to go this route. Um, I think that was it was uh, it was a little bit different. They were testing out the um, rather than having a, a chemical battery, it was a flywheel technology. I think they couldn't quite make that work how they wanted to fit their refinement standards for a road car. Um, but a lot of that technology ended up in the 918 and the, yeah. Uh, yeah. 918. And, and um, yeah. So anyways, I, I think, I think you're right to say, don't worry if they make it, they're going to make it and it's going to drive, it's going to be a good car and it'll drive really well. Yes. And not so. only that, but, it's not only going to drive well, but if you don't want to have the hybrid technology, I'm sure they'll say you're not level without it. So I don't think there's a reason to, yeah. to be concerned about them coming out with a hybrid version. Yeah. And, and I do think that it would be interesting to see how that impacts other companies. So I, like, I think for example, Ferrari, there's a big question is Ferrari going to make any more naturally aspirated cars ever again is, is the eight twelve the last naturally aspirated Ferrari and man, I don't know that that's, it, this is, it makes my heart sad to think about, but, but on the other hand, if they took the 812 and the way that they updated it was they added hybrid assistance to it and they maintained the naturally aspirated V12, I'd be okay with that. Um, I would, I would have zero problem with, a naturally aspirated V12 with hybrid assistance. I don't think that would detract from the driving experience at all. But if they go with the turbocharged route, I'll be, I'll be sad. Not that turbocharged engines aren't great. It's just the naturally aspirated ones are greater. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that the, the best case when it comes to, the, to this is the 458 versus the 488. Uh, we do know that the 488 is a faster car than the 458. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't sound as good. And the 458 is, it does beg the question, is it fast enough? And I think it is. Uh, I'm not saying that the 488 is a bad car because it isn't. It's a great Ferrari. But um, if they came to me and says, hey, you can have either a 458 or a 488, which one would you take? I would take the 458 because I think it's plenty fast and it sounds 10 times better than the 488. And the reason that it sounds 10 times better is because it doesn't have a turbocharger. Yeah. Well, and, and you hear this kind of over and over again, where you, where people are testing a, a WRX or a GTI or something. And they say, Oh, you know, through the canyons, it's just as fast as, as anything. Mm -hmm. okay? And they really mean anything, right? Like a four, five, eight and on real roads is just as fast as a four, eight, eight, because that extra power, that extra torque lower in the RPMs, it doesn't actually net you any more speed in the real world on a racetrack. Yeah. But driving through the canyons or on the highway, it's the same thing. And so that, that enjoyment really, 
matters a lot more. Yeah. Right. It does. But, you know, nowadays it's, it's starting to become more uh, of a numbers game and how fast can you get it around the number green? So of course you got to come with a new technology to be able to go faster. Well, and you have to, yeah, I mean, you have to have some point to sell the new cars. If you're, if you're a dealership, if you're a Ferrari dealership, you have to say, how do we get people to buy an F8 over, you know, these 488s that we still have on the lot? And the answer to that is it has to be faster. It has to be more better looking. It has to be, you know, more. And that's how you sell new cars. So, yeah. Um, well, to kind of uh, summarize this uh, Ferrari segment, I really hope that they, even if it's just a limited edition, that every now and then they do come out with unassisted uh, engines. And if they're going to do that, please, please, please make sure that it's only the V12. Because everybody likes a Ferrari V12. Who doesn't like a Ferrari V12? Uh, not that we don't like the V8s, but the Ferrari V12 is king. So, yeah, and I think that I, I really do think that that's kind of the identity of Ferrari, and has been forever. Forever, yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I hope that I do hope that they uh, continue to make unassisted engines. But if they do, I think that hybrid is. I think hybrid over turbos is, is the way to go, at least for as long as they can. Um, and then, well, there's another, there's another really interesting hybrid that we need to talk about, which is the Wrangler hybrid. The Wrangler hybrid was announced this week. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Jeep has been going on a release spree over the last few weeks. Um, I think it's a great idea in the sense that they're giving you tremendous different types of powertrains. You know, you have the traditional 3.6 V6 that they've had for the longest time. Uh, you have a two liter turbo four cylinder, you have the three liter V6 diesel. Um, they teased us a few weeks ago that they're gonna be putting the big Hemi uh, 427 uh, in it. Uh, and now we get a plug-in hybrid with uh, 375 horsepower and the best part, 470 foot pounds of torque which if mm -hmm. you if you i mean let's be honest here the jeep wrangler is mainly designed for one thing and one thing only off-roading and when you go off-roading what yep. do you want you want as much torque as you possibly can and not only you want as much torque as you possibly can you want it as low rpm as possible and with the hybrid battery it doesn't get any better than that you know you get 470 foot pounds right from the go so Right. Yeah. I think, I think this is a big deal, actually. I think talking about, you know, if, when the 911 goes hybrid, will that push other manufacturers down the hybrid path as well? I think that having a Jeep with a plug-in hybrid will definitely push its competitors down the hybrid path. Um, because I, like you said, there will be real, real world benefits to off-roading with a hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, now, is it going to affect the range that much? Because range, range is a big issue off-roading. Um, is it going to affect range that much? I don't think it will. But the performance benefit of having that torque through the electric motors is going to be real and it's going to be a big advantage. Um, and then also, people who have Jeeps daily drive their Jeeps. And having that 25 miles of electric-only range, I think is going to be a big deal. Um, 
So I will, I will not be surprised to see more SUVs, more off-road intensive SUVs, or you know, the Bronco, et cetera, come out with a, a plug-in hybrid version at some point in response to this. Yeah, and it really does make sense. You know, as time goes by, as years goes by, battery technology gets better, uh, electric motors get better. So even though right now in September of 2020, we're saying we think this is a good idea, it's only going to get better with time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess one of the, one of the big questions with the Wrangler is fording depth. Um, can you go through a big river with your hybrid? And I know that they've, they've uh, taken that seriously. You know, the, the, uh, the batteries are kind of like encased in the, I think they're under the seats, right? So they're, they're encased in this special waterproof tight chamber. Um, <clears throat> But, but still, it has a lower fording rating than the other Wranglers um, by several inches. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it going to be an issue? I guess we'll see. But I think that's going to be a big benefit. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, everything is sort of an issue when it first comes out. I mean, even, you know... Back in the last century, it was an issue having gas cars because everybody thought, you know, oh, they're just going to explode everywhere. Um, and, and we've overcome that. So I think that with time and engineering, every issue that we possibly have, there's a solution for it and we'll be able to overcome it in a good, responsible way. I don't think this yeah. going to be any different. Um, See, do we have EPA numbers on the, on the Wrangler hybrid yet? Um, I'm not sure. Let me check. Uh, what we do know is that um, it will be a plug-in hybrid, which is good. We, we are fans of plug-in hybrids versus just a more traditional um, hybrid. They're calling it the 4XE. Um, let me see. Okay. It, we do have some uh, EPA estimates. So we, we do know that it's going to have a 25-mile all-electric range and an estimated 5 miles per gallon equivalent. So, okay. uh, sorry, sorry, 50 miles per gallon equivalent, not 5, 50. So okay. pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So we can expect, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 miles per gallon out of that highway. Yeah. Hmm. Which is, yeah, if you think about it, you know, 30 miles per gallon highway is not that far off from the three liter turbo diesel that they offer in the rank. Because I, I want to say uh, EPA on that is around uh, 23, 20, 22, 23 city, 25, 26 combined, and around 28, 29 highway. So not too far off from the diesel. Um, if you were if you were buying a Wrangler, would you which engine would you get? Um, I would get the diesel. But the reason I would get the diesel is I know it's going to sound um, maybe it's like well, what does that have to do with anything? But I'm European, which means we love our diesels. We've had diesels for the longest time, and we just love them. And I think having a Wrangler diesel is it's great. I mean, it's I think that every if you ask me, I think that every version of the car that's now sold in the U S should have some sort of diesel version to it. 
Uh, one of the things that I'm saddened here in the States is that you can't get a minivan with a diesel engine because I think it'll be fantastic. I mean, minivans you want them for long distances, what better than diesel? Uh, but I am a diesel lover. And as much as I do like this uh, new hybrid vehicle, um, at least for now, I still think that I would choose a diesel. Yeah, for, for me, I got to say, it depends a little bit on what I would be using it for. Um, if, if it was purely for driving around town and then going rock crawling in Moab, I would get the hybrid. Mm -hmm. If I was doing any type of longer term off-roading, I would definitely go for the diesel. I think, you know, diesels at idle are so efficient and I think you get a really big, uh, off-road distance range gain by having the diesel i think that's i think that's pretty sweet yeah and i think too but my biggest problem or maybe not problem but issue or hesitation with any type of hybrid or plug-in hybrid is that uh at some point and this is going to happen at some point the batteries are going to go kaput and it's going to be expensive. It is expensive to get them a place today. It's still going to be expensive in the near future. Hopefully a little bit further than that, it won't be as expensive as it is right now. But, you know, that's something that I don't have to worry about if I just have a diesel. I know that I can get, you know, three, four, 500,000 miles of a diesel if it's properly maintained. And I don't mm -hmm. have a hybrid battery to worry about that at 150 or 200,000 miles is going to give up on me. I think that actually speaks to a really important issue with the minivans. Um, I, I mean, with all, with all hybrids, maybe less the performance ones. Um, when is, and, that, and this is depreciation, because if you go and you look at the electric cars, once they hit a certain mileage, and we're talking Priuses, we're talking Nissan Leafs, we're talking pretty much any, anything with a battery in it. Once that battery is towards the end of its life, that car becomes worth almost nothing. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a big difference. I mean, it that's any type of, any type of, any person who's buying one of these vehicles with an eye towards total vehicle, total, total ownership cost is going to have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really, that's a really good point. I, I do wonder you have a Jeep Wrangler with a hundred thousand miles and it's a hybrid versus a diesel. I got to, I got to think there's going to be a big value difference in that. Oh yeah. Cause you know, the, the hybrid version, you're going to start thinking to yourself, okay, well, how much longer do I have left of this battery before I have to replace it with the diesel at a hundred thousand miles? You're like, it's barely broken engine. So. Right. And how much, how much, uh, so you have a shop, how much do you think it would cost to change a battery on something like that? Just a wild guess. On, on a Jeep. Yeah. On a um, Jeep or on any, well, any of these. For example, the, the experience that we have has been with Prius because, um, of course, those are the ones that have been out for the longest. And, of course, just because they've been out for the longest are the ones who have gone through more battery replacements. Not that they're bad. It's just time. Um, you can get a, a reman battery for Prius for anywhere between twelve dollars to $2,000, the battery itself. Uh, then, of course, you need to have a shop or yourself to do the, the installation. But, you know, for a Prius, you're probably looking around uh, four to $500 uh, on labor plus the battery. Um, 
the cost will vary, of course, greatly uh, on, first of all, battery pricing. Priuses are the cars right now that you can get the cheapest reman uh, battery for the simple reason that there's plenty of them out there. Um, also on the Prius, it's fairly simple to replace a hybrid battery. On the Jeep, it's probably gonna take a bit more work. Uh, on other vehicles that the battery is placed on a more difficult area to access, it's gonna take more work, which means it's gonna be more labor intensive, which means the bill is gonna go up. But for example, on your, we were talking about this the other day, on your Audi, on the e-tron that you have, um, I wasn't able to find any manufacturers out there that would do a reman battery for your e-tron, unlike you can with uh, the Prius. The Prius, 1200 bucks mm -hmm. to 2000 for a reman battery. On your case, you're looking at 6000 bucks just for the battery. Yeah. So when you're, when you're looking at a, I don't know, let's say a 10-year-old car with 120,000 miles, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big chunk of money. It is a big chunk of money. And speaking of all this too, we were having this conversation the other day is it, it becomes also a little bit more tricky as far as how do you value those cars in the sense that, well, you have a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid. You have, let's say you have two vehicles, both of them hybrid, both of them have done a hundred thousand miles, but one of them has done a hundred thousand miles with 50 or 60% of it done by the electric motor with the battery. And the other one was 60 or 70% done with the gas engine. How do you value those, those vehicles? Uh, they've done the exact same mileage, but one has done more miles with the battery than the other one. One has more wear on the gas engine than the other one. Um, how do you figure that out? No. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't, think that there's, I don't think that there's a good way to figure it out. I mean, until they start putting, uh, you know, like, like they do on agricultural and uh, industrial equipment, they have the hour meters on the engines mm -hmm. yeah. uh, or, or airplanes, for example. Um, I think until they start putting hour meters on, on engines of hybrid vehicles, and then you, and then there's an effective way of testing the remaining battery life. I don't, I, I mean, I don't think there's a good way of being able to distinguish. Yeah. It's definitely a, an so. interesting uh, topic and it, that, that we find ourselves in, you know, it's one of those things that we'll figure it out as time goes by. Um, but, um, Speaking of uh, massive depreciation on uh, electric vehicles or hybrid, I don't know if you've heard about um, LA selling their fleet of BMW i3s. Uh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so talk about, well, I, it might be depreciation or it might be that just the, the LA police department just really wants to get rid of the i3s for some reason. You know, these i3s brand new, they were a little over 40 grand and you can buy them now for 20. And these are examples that have five to six, 7,000 miles. So 50% depreciation on a car that not even has 10,000 miles. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I saw, I think that, I think that one of the reasons they're selling is part of their defunding the police efforts in uh, Los Angeles. But I think it is, it is interesting, right? Because, you know, again, going back to my, um, my cost per per mile chart that I that I made when I was you know figuring out what what car I want what commuter car I wanted to buy. Um, if you look at again going back to this, okay, if I get a Mazda three, okay, and I drive it for a hundred thousand miles, I'm getting 
you know, I'm saving a little bit of money in gas depending on gas prices. As long as gas is $3 or cheaper, I'm saving money over, over an electric, um, at least with the electric price, electricity prices I have here. Um, that being said, at the end of that 100,000 miles that I plan on having this car, you know, it's still a good car at the end of 100,000 miles. But if I had an electric car, I bought a Nissan Leaf or whatever, it, you know, I mean, the depreciation hit at the end of that is, is just Ooh. enormous. And it's the same, and it's the same with these, you know, I threes, uh, you know, that car is, is almost at its, at the end of its useful life. And you have to think about that when you're actually going around and buying these things. So, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been looking at, um, hybrid or electric cars in my area for quite some time. And I have to say that the car that I've seen that has gotten the biggest depreciation, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, the Nissan Leaf. I mean, yeah. you, you can pick one up for pennies on the dollars. I mean, they are, I'm, I'm pulling up a couple of examples right now on, on my website, but um, I just found a 2011 uh, Nissan Leaf with 54,000 miles, almost 55, 54,791, and they're asking 4,500 bucks for it. And this brings up my other question that I've had for a long time, because again, we keep getting told that electric cars are the future. Everything's going to be electric in the future. And my big question that I've had is, are people who buy electric cars repurchasing electric cars for their next car? So you buy a Nissan Leaf, do you buy an electric car after you own a Nissan Leaf? What percentage of buyers are doing that? I think that that is, I don't know the answer to that. I don't have any idea, but that's a, a question that I would need answered before I come in say electric cars are the future because if no one likes them, they're not the future. Yeah. I think people, that's a very interesting people point. love them. If people love them, right. And they're like, Hey, I had this Nissan Leaf. I got a better job and now I'm going to buy a Tesla. Okay. That's a, that's an entirely different story than I had this Nissan Leaf. It really didn't work that great. I didn't like it that much. I didn't save any money and I'm just going to buy a gas powered car now. Yeah. Um, I don't know the answer to that either. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to speculate here that if you get a Nissan Leaf, you probably won't get another one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I, I think that the biggest problem, I, I don't, I've driven a Leaf, and honestly, they don't drive that bad. They're, for the, the type of car that they are, they drive good enough. I think the biggest yeah. problem with the Leaf is the range. You don't have a, a whole lot of range. If memory serves me well, you have 75 or 100 miles of range. Um, yeah, it depends it, on the version, but yeah. yeah. And it's an all-electric vehicle, so you know, once you're out, you're out. That's it. Uh, and then, of course, going back to the point that we were talking about, eventually, these batteries are going to give up and they're expensive to replace. So um, because of that, I don't think that the Leaf is probably the best option for you. You may have fallen in love with the whole electric idea, but I'm sure that if you bought a Leaf and you want to get into another electric, you're probably going to look elsewhere to get another car. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I really want to know what the percentage is. Yeah. But... But speaking of hey, well, uh, still, we have a theme today of hybrid and electric. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about this vehicle that uh, Jeep announced. It was the Grand Wagoneer. Well, this week, 
Jeep uh, actually released some pictures and some more information and they did say that it was probably going to be a hybrid platform. And so right I think I think uh, oof. I mean what do we say about the grand uh, grand wagoneer I mean we don't know everything about the car about the vehicle yet. Um, that being said the pictures look promising and this is also, there was some concern of what's the price going to be. And uh, there's definitely going to be versions that are six figures, but the base price is in the 60s. And I think that I think that, that really makes Jeep's uh, intent clear that this is supposed to be a Tahoe right. suburban competitor. Yeah. They're really aiming for that market. Maybe they, maybe they got into the segment too late, but I think that it's going to be a – I think it's going to be a good competitor for that. Yeah, you know, uh, but I, here's my thoughts on the Grand Wagoneer when it comes to pricing. I think that the base model, if it's going to compete directly with a Tahoe, uh, even the base model, if you want to ask 60K for it, it has to be fairly well loaded because right now a base Tahoe is around 49,000 before dealer discounts. That's for the base model, no frills. But, you know, we're talking about a ten thousand dollar difference on a base tahoe without without taking account deal discounts beforehand so sixty thousand i think that unless it's a very well equipped base model um i think that they may have some issues uh, moving them uh, compared with like i said with the tahoe let me check actually because i don't know how much the uh, expedition um base price uh, comes out to uh, let's see uh, the expedition base price is 52 and change so fairly close to to the Tahoe um, question is is the, is the the Grand Wagoneer gonna be worth $60,000 base model it all depends on how well equipped it comes as the base model so. well and so I think one of the one of the things that Jeep wants to brag about with the Grand Wagoneer is the number of screens that they have. They they think that somehow more screens is better, and it comes with seven screens on seven the fully screens. loaded version. Yes. I wonder how many screens the base model is going to come with because that's that's something, right? It, it is something. I mean, what seven screens do you have? Well, you have um, the main. Uh, dashboard, you know, where you have all your uh, information you know, for your speed, RPMs, uh, engine temperature, all that, that's all digital. You have a big screen in the middle for all your HVAC controls and your music and all that stuff also uh, on a screen. And then what's interesting from uh, the pictures that Jeep released is the passenger will also have uh, a screen. Front passenger will have a screen. Yeah. Um, there's kind of there's kind of like a dual screen for the infotainment and yeah um, very uh, reminiscent yeah, of controls of the range rover how they do have now the the dual screens um so right. you have four screens in the front uh and then in the back you have three screens uh, on the pictures that we've seen the second row is only for uh two people it's not a three row uh, second uh, uh, it's not a three uh, seat second row. It's a two row from the pictures that they've released. Uh, so you have 
one screen for each of the passengers. We're assuming, of course, for entertainment, you know, your Blu-ray or your, if you have, a, I'm sure you can plug in an Apple TV, HDMI connection, whatever the case. And then you have a smaller screen in the middle between both of the passengers for the HVAC control and probably for, this is the top of the line, I'm sure the rear seats will be electric and you'll probably control them through that middle uh, screen too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 60,000 base is, price all the way up to 100,000. Um, so big money. I mean, it is big money. And does this mean that Jeep has transitioned itself into the luxury division of, of FCA? Mm. It's pushing it. I mean, it's put, it maybe it's pushing it to go that far, but it definitely, Jeep is definitely on a march up market. So. You know, it, it, in order for them to be able to command this price and to be able to sell them, they have to be the best because people think, okay, it's $60,000. That's a lot of money. But if you think about it, you can actually get a Wrangler for $60,000. Uh, yeah. yeah there's, there's, there's a reason why people are willing to spend 60 grand on a Wrangler because if you want to do outdoors and off-roading, it's really a great, one of the best vehicles that you can buy for that. And especially the new JL version. Um, they Not only it's great off-road, but for the first time, it's actually really nice on the road too. Um, so right. because of that, you know, you can command a 50 to $60,000 price tag and um, people will buy it. Or even if you don't buy a $60,000 Wrangler, you may buy a lower trim, but then, you know, people put lift kits and bigger wheels and accessories and you're making your own. And by the time you, you do all that stuff to the Wrangler, you're at $60,000 anyway. Um, um, so I think that there's no problem in asking that much money if the vehicle gives you that value. With the Wagoneer, we won't know until people can get their hands on it and see how good or not it is. And then we can see if it justifies that price range. Because especially once you get into the, the top trim level 100K, you have very fierce competition uh, up in that price range. Um, when Not only when it comes to luxury, but when it comes to the way that the vehicle handles, the performance, the comfort, and you have to be really good at that price range if you want to ask that price range. Well, and I think that Jeep is also making a bet to say, look, we have a really loyal customer base and we don't have anything that that's expensive. So, the, so our well-heeled customers, they don't have a way of spending $100,000 on a Jeep. And... I guess they're making a bet that they want that there's customers out there who want a way to spend more money on a Jeep. Well, um, yeah. We shall see. I think, how good I think also, I think also that, that, that segment is a good segment for American cars, right? Like there's, there's not really a big premium to be had on three row SUVs that are European no. or that are, Japanese or whatever. Buying an American three-row luxury SUV is, is just as good, I think, in the eyes of many buyers. Well, the so. thing too is if you want something big, if you want an SUV and you want something big, there's really only uh, the American way. Because yeah. the, whether you go European or Japanese, we don't have, in Europe, we don't have big, huge three-rows SUV. There's nothing like a Suburban in Europe. It doesn't exist. It's just too big. Um, yeah. Uh, nobody well, and, and not 
and not that many people have families that are big enough to, to need that. Well, not only that, but then the, the, the main thing too, that another main reason why we don't have SUVs that big is first of all, in, in especially in, uh, in some of the older cities in Europe, if you want to go to downtown, the cars won't simply fit. They're just too big to drive around those, those bigger cities. Parking is going to be yeah. an issue. But the biggest problem uh, is nobody in Europe that has a family and could afford a Suburban will want to be driving around in a 5.3 liter V8. Uh, gas. <laughs> yes, V8. Yeah. yeah, V8 gas. <laughs> yeah. You know, gas is just too expensive um, to, yeah. ju to justify driving something like that. Um, yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time I was driving in Stuttgart and um, <clears throat> I was driving through downtown Stuttgart and there's like, you know, cars parked on the side of the road and I was going uncomfortably fast for the size of the road. It was really tiny road, you know, two lane, two way road. So we have oncoming traffic cars parked right there. And like, I have this BMW driver behind me, like flashing his lights, telling me to go faster. And so I speed up a little bit, but there's so little space. And I'm like, I'm in a small car and there's so little space that I actually hit my mirror on one of the parked cars. And it like it scared the crap out of me. I had to slow down and just endure the BMW driver behind me after that. What were you driving? But it was uh, it was some small Nissan SUV. Okay. You know, rent a rental car. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I mean uh, the the narrow roads are no joke. They're they're no joke. Um, but here in the states. The narrow roads; those are a foreign concept. It's just not something that happens here, and that's why big trucks or SUV make sense combined with way cheaper gas makes sense. So if yeah. if if you want to have something big, there really only is American way. Right. Now, I guess to our last our last uh, point for today on these hybrids is the GM and Honda alliance that has been announced. Yes. So GM and Honda have basically decided that they're going to, you know, it's not a merger, right? They're not, it's not a financial, um, you know, ownership agreement, but they're going to cooperate in the development of their battery. So they're going to share their electric vehicle architecture and they're going to share the engineering cost of that. But one of the great things about these electric architectures is you can, you can stick it in anything, right? I mean, it's totally scalable and, um, you know, you, you know, it sounds like they're going to develop a skateboard style architecture, pretty much like what uh, Tesla has. Yeah, you know, fear not. A lot of people, when they, they hear this uh, GM uh, Honda Alliance, they might get uh, worried about, uh, well, two things. Uh, you might get people very happy and people not so happy. Uh, and what do I mean by this? They're not so happy thinking that these are Honda fans saying, oh, now that they partner up with GM, the reliability is going to go down. And then you have GM fans that say, oh, now that they partner up with Honda, the reliability is going to go up. Um, so fear not. Um, it's all going to be basically like, like you said, all batteries and hybrid technology, um, that overall is very reliable across the board. Um, so, and it's, it's, so it's good. It's, I think it's going to be more than fine. Um, I think it's going to be, I do think that it's going to create some good products. I think also that 
GM has a lot of experience with hybrid and, and even electric vehicles more than anybody else, actually. Although it's not always been the best the experience, best. they do have a lot of it. Yes. <laughs> um, Honda Honda's always been trying to play catch up to Toyota on this front. Um, I think that this is going to be a, a good step for both of them to take a, kind of a, a leapfrog GM to to say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna try to get ahead of Ford. You know, Ford's been making electric architecture acquisitions, and I think setting themselves up pretty nicely for for future. Um, but Honda and GM have both kind of been behind a little bit. I think this is going to be a good step for them to, to catch up and maybe even leapfrog their direct competitors. That's it for this week's Limited Slip Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode of Insights into the week's automotive news. If you want to support our channel, you can visit our businesses at DaveTheCarImporter.com where I help clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee or Borja's business on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah, a full-service auto repair shop.